Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the joy of the season. We thank you for the joy that is ours in Christ, though, year-round. And Lord, we pray today as we come to your word, as we enter into this series, that you begin to change our hearts and our minds, that you begin to change our, our thoughts and our words and our motives and our actions. Lord, we just pray that you would guide us again and, and show us what you want to do in our lives, not just for this season, uh, but for every season, for every moment. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, I want to read Philippians 4, uh, verses 4 to 8, and I'm going to read from the New International Version. Uh, this passage just came dear to me when I was using the New International Version a lot at that point. Uh, so we have it here for you uh, in the NIV as well. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Thanks be to God for His holy word. Amen. Well, today we begin an Advent series indeed titled, uh, Ugly Christmas Sweaters. And some of you are quite familiar with the ugly Christmas sweater fad, and you've likely attended such a party with family or friends or workmates. It's hard to say exactly when this fad began, but it's believed by some to be a takeoff from the ugly sweaters that Dr. Huxtable wore in the 1980s uh, Cosby show. And then the Christmas twist was added by Chevy Chase's character in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The ugly sweater Christmas parties really, though, began to take off in the 2000s. Anyway, though, ugly Christmas sweater parties can be a lot of fun. Unfortunately, we can also put on ugly attitudes, almost like a sweater that we've wrapped around ourselves for Christmas and indeed throughout the entire year. Christmas is, of course, meant to be a, a time of great joy, a, a time of happiness as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. But this series is going to consider how Christmas and our lives in general can get lost in ugly thoughts and words and motives and actions. Uh, hopefully, we're going to be encouraged to celebrate Jesus by the way we think and by the way we speak, and the way we act toward one another. The first week, we're going to turn to our thoughts, because that's really where it all begins. Our, our thoughts determine our words, and our motives, and our actions. 
You know, today many of us have pre-lit Christmas trees, but one of the things I liked the least through the years was stringing these things. Hated it. We were talking this morning about what you hate about Christmas. This, this was one of them, I must admit. We have things we like and there's things we don't like. This is definitely one I hated. Even though Jeanette got smart and figured out ways to wrap them around cardboard and, and other things, still somehow every time they got tangled, right? And, and worse yet, there is always at least one strand, at least one strand that doesn't work. And because these bulbs are wired in series, you have to trace it out and find that one bulb. One bulb can take the whole strand out. You know that. Of course, the manufacturers put extra bulbs in the package, but inevitably we've already lost those. We don't know where they're at. Or, or, or if, if we have them, they're at the very bottom of one of our Christmas boxes that we have to dig through everything uh, to find them. And, and then even if you don't give up and do what we used to do and go and buy another strand, uh, you have to start troubleshooting them, right? And one bulb at a time, you've got to look for that loose bulb or that broken wire or that wire that's been uh, pulled out. It is a hassle at best. Inevitably, for me at least, it's always the last bulb I check. Always. Whether I start at one end and go to the other end or start in the middle and work more, however I do it, it's the last bulb it seems like. It can be tedious. It can be a daunting task. And that's why so many of us just give up and we go buy another strand. Or, or you do what we've started doing. Uh, if we still string any, uh, we have a pre-lit tree, but if we still string any, we just buy some extras at the beginning uh, to know where we've got what we need. Well, I'm going to suggest this morning that we need some rewiring of our minds. And, and it can be tedious and daunting because some of our ugly thoughts are deeply embedded. And so it's going to take some intentionality if we're going to rewire. But Paul, in the closing statement of his letter to the Philippians, and often in closing statements, uh, letter writers put some of the most important thoughts. But he, so he tells us here how to begin rewiring our minds and our thoughts. Remember, Paul was writing this letter to the Philippians, and he was writing it to them while he was in prison. And except for Timothy and Epaphroditus and a couple of other friends, Paul was basically alone. And yet, Philippians is often referred to as Paul's joyful letter. And the let, it's a letter in which Paul said such things as, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Obviously, Paul couldn't do a lot from prison. So he had time to think, and, and his thoughts could have turned ugly. I mean, think about it. He could have been angry at the Romans and, and the Pharisees and all the, the leaders who had put him in prison. He could have railed against God for allowing him to be in prison. He could have been disappointed at his lack of friends. He could have spiraled into depression. Instead, his thoughts soared to some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture, some of which are before us today. Let's read verses 4 to 7 again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, 
rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul gives us, folks, a string of commands. He says, rejoice. Do not be anxious. Present your request to God. And I believe he intentionally started with the command to rejoice. That's crucial to right thinking. You see, Paul had reason to grumble. Paul had every reason to complain. He had every reason to be frustrated and anxious. He was, after all, in chains and in prison. He could have been very jaded, but he was determined to win the battle in his mind, and he wanted the Philippians and in turn us to win the battle that goes on in our own minds. And so he began, rejoice. Again I say it, rejoice. Losing ugly thoughts for many of us may need to start right here. Instead of complaining about what we do not have, we should rejoice at what we do have. Instead of complaining about that one relative who irritates everyone, we need to rejoice in all the wonderful relatives that the Lord has blessed us with. Instead of always complaining about our job, we need to be grateful that there's work to do and there's income for our family. And instead of complaining about schools and, and teachers, we need to rejoice that we're getting an education. Uh, Paul doesn't say it explicitly, but it seems to me that his command to rejoice and to present our request to God, rejoicing and praying, can begin to rewire our thoughts such that we can have that peace which trans sins all understanding. Paul understood that it's not about the outward circumstances, it's what's going on in our hearts and our minds that make a difference. Rejoicing and praying are like bulbs in the strand. And when they're in the strand, and when they're functioning properly, then the whole strand functions properly. Rejoicing and praying can begin to change our ugly thoughts into joy-filled thoughts. But you must be intentional. Rejoice and pray, rejoice and pray. But Paul had some additional bulbs that he wanted us to put in our strand for it to work properly. Let's turn back to verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You see, Paul seems to, to have understood, and we know God who inspired Paul understood that our thoughts shape our lives. Our thoughts shape our lives. 
Craig Greshel, in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, writes, In recent years, an entire discipline of modern psychology has developed called cognitive behavioral therapy. This breakthrough teaching reveals that many problems, from eating disorders to relational challenges to addictions and even some forms of depression and anxiety, are rooted in faulty and negative patterns of thinking. What we think determines who we become tomorrow. What we think shapes who we are. But God knew that thousands of years before psychologists. In fact, I would argue he knew it before creation. After all, he's the one who wired us the way he wired us. Being human, I marvel at modern science and medicine and psychology. But I wonder sometimes when God hears us talking about some breakthrough psychology like cognitive behavioral therapy, if he doesn't laugh and say, duh, I told you about that in the Bible thousands of years ago. I mean, are you listening? That's why I inspired Paul to write whatever is true, whatever is, is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. That's why Solomon was inspired to write in Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Or there's a note in the ESV that says, for as he calculates in his soul, so is he. You see, God knew full well that our thinking shapes our lives. That's why He gave us the Bible, folks. It's because our thinking shapes our lives. You want to deal with and you want to begin to overcome those ugly thoughts that plague you not only at Christmas, but throughout the year? Then whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about those things. And the only place I know you're going to consistently get what is true and lovely is right here. Is right here. I read a lot of books. And I try to carefully select authors who are good and, and, and thoughtful and truthful thinkers. But only the Bible has consistently stood the test of time. For it is written by the one who is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And at this season of year, of the year, we especially turn to one of the loveliest of all passages that I think can transform our ugly thoughts to beautiful thoughts. Let me read a portion from Luke 2, and I'm going to read from the King James Version because I think here uh, it is particularly lovely uh, in the Luke 2 narrative. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid." And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Good tidings. 
great joy. He's talking about the gospel here, folks, in Luke 2. A Savior, the Savior, Christ the Lord has come to rescue us from a world of destructive thoughts and words and motives and actions. I can't think of anything that will transform our ugly thoughts more than, in, than focusing on the incredibly good news that Christ the Savior came to save us and not just us. Christ is good news to all people. How can that practically begin to change your thoughts? Well, let me offer just one example. Like most of you, I just came from a holiday spent with family, including a number of extended family members. And I suspect your family, like my family, has at least one relative that drives everyone crazy. And in my family, it may be me. I mean, be grateful your family doesn't, most of them don't have a preacher in it, right? Nobody wants to invite the preacher to a party. But in all seriousness, my problem at least sometimes is that when I, when I prepare for those family gatherings, I'm all, I've already flipped open the gun and I'm putting the ammo in. I'm ready. If she says this, I'm going to say that. If she dares to say, if he dares to say anything about my kids, I'm going to bring up what his kid did way back in high school. If she keeps pointing out how old I am, I'm going to ask her if she's looked in the mirror lately. If he brags one more time about his job and, and how much money he has, I'm going to scream and tell him I could care less. Don't look at me in shock. You know y'all have done that as well. <laughs> Don't even try that. We've all gone there, haven't we? in our thoughts, how we're going to deal with that difficult person. But what if? What if before we see that same person again at Christmas, if we reminded ourselves that Jesus came to be their Savior as well? Jesus died for them the same as He died for me. Jesus loves them as He loves me. Jesus wants them to be reconciled unto Him just like He wants me to be reconciled unto Him. Therefore, even if I never say those things, He doesn't even want me to think those things. He doesn't want me to have those ugly thoughts and the, and the ammo ready to have my comebacks. He wants my thoughts to be true and noble and right and pure and lovely, and admirable. And beloved, we can do this. For some of us, it, it, it might be tedious. It might be as daunting as those Christmas lights. I was obviously preparing for this sermon as I went into Thanksgiving, and, and it took away all of my good comebacks this year. I, honestly, I don't think I'm so terrible, but my but my worst in all sincerity is not my family members, but the other drivers out there are my issue. That slowpoke in front of me, Christ died for them too. That one that pulled out in front of me, he died for them. 
My wife had to remind me this year that trips sometimes are miserable because I won't keep my mouth shut. I deserved it, honey. <laughs> I deserved it. I think we need to remind ourselves that everybody we look at is someone Jesus died for. Everyone we look at is someone Jesus died for. We can do this. We can begin to transform our ugly thoughts and, and instead we can turn towards rejoicing in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we're being transformed, there's hope for all people to be transformed. We can begin to think about those wonderful tidings of comfort and joy. We can remember that Christ has come to free all of us from Satan's power and might. It, it will take work. But if we're intentional about it and we're prayerful, we can begin to rewire our ugly thoughts. And we can remove those ugly burnout bulbs and replace them with beautiful bulbs that are true and noble, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. And we can do so. You know why we can do so? For unto us and unto the world is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He has redeemed us. He has justified us. And if we let Him, He is continuing to sanctify us, to change us, including our thoughts. Let's take off those ugly thought sweaters and put on Christ. And put on Christ. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, forgive my ugly thoughts. There are times when I've held the tongue, but the thought was already there. And sadly, there's too many times when the thought rolled right into what I said and even how I acted. And Lord, I know I'm not alone, so I would ask that you would forgive all of our ugly thoughts. And help us to, to truly be a people that looks at every person as someone you came to redeem. Help us more and more view every person as someone you love, as someone you died for. Oh God, transform our ugly thoughts into thoughts that are excellent and praiseworthy. Oh God, begin to reshape our lives by changing our thoughts. Turn our hearts and our minds to things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And remind us that we, we find them uh, in the Scriptures. And remind us that as we read through the Gospels, we see how Jesus loved all people. As we looked a few weeks ago, May He increase while we decrease. Begin even today to take off those ugly Christmas negative thoughts that we have. 
and put on Christ in our lives. We ask in His holy name. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.